good morning or good evening, depending on your time zone. We are delighted to be uh, back with you on our third session of Joseph and Jacob with Rabbi David Silber. Um, as you come into the Zoom room, I'm going to invite you to become a panelist. This just means that you'll be able to turn your camera on if you wish so we can see you or that you will be able to unmute yourself to ask or answer a question when Rabbi Silber invites them. Um, when you're not speaking, we just ask that you put yourself on mute so that we don't get background noise and everyone can hear each other. Um, you can put comments or questions in the chat. And if you're joining us on Facebook Live, you can put a Facebook comment and I will bring it to the Zoom for Rabbi Silber. Um, I will be sharing the sources on Zoom, but of course you're welcome and encouraged to uh, follow along in your Tanakh or on your own uh, safari. And uh, over to Rabbi Silber when he's ready. Yeah, just one second. Hold on one second, please. Okay, let us begin. We're up to chapter 43 in the uh, 17th Pasuk. Uh, the previous Pasuk, where we stopped last time, was um, where um, Yosef uh, down to Egypt and um, they come to before Yosef and they have their present with them and they, they brought back Binyamin. And Yosef uh, invites them. He tells the man in charge of his house, bring the people to my house. That's in the 16th Pasuk. And we ended up last time with the following observation. That Joseph invited him to his personal house. The term that will appear throughout this chapter over and over again is Beito or Beit Yosef. And we'll talk about that in a bit. But what's interesting is here he invites him to his house, which is seems like he's going out of his way to be hospital, hospitable to them. But we have the interesting expression, to pre prepare for them, tevach is that which you slaughter, prepare meat, one would say, uh, slaughter some meat and prepare it for the, the people would eat, eat with me this afternoon. And we point out that Tvoch Tevach Vachain actually is interesting. On one level, perhaps what he's saying is that you can prepare for them Tevach <coughs> because the Egyptians themselves, uh, we know, don't eat what the uh, Israelites eat. And it says that they won't eat, um, shepherds are an abomination to them. And we can presume that they're not eating Tevach that they're not eating the kind of meat that the Israelites would eat. So is a way of saying, well, these are fellows who eat the food that I eat. Yosef says, it identifies himself as one who will eat. That is, he identifies himself at least to this fellow as being a Hebrew or being a Jew. That's on one level. That would suggest that, uh, that Yosef is once again reaching out to his brothers. He is a brother. They have a common background, a common ancestry, etc. However, the word tevach can also carry with it a different meaning. Because remember that when Yosef comes to Egypt, he is in the house of Potiphar, Sarah Tabachim, Pharaoh's chief butcher. Now, again, when he butcher, whether he butchers animals or human beings, we don't know. We do know 
guy's got a jail in his house. So once again, we're left to wonder about this tevoach tevach. Is it a statement that suggests great hospitality? Or is it a statement that suggests that Yosef has in mind something for his brothers, something unexpected, something negative? So with the, we, the reader, have that question in our heads before we get to the actual story of chapter 43, beginning of 44, uh, once again, it's going to be um, a question of why Yosef does what he does. I will just jump ahead for a moment to the last verse of chapter 43, the very last verse of chapter 43, when they were eating with Joseph in his house. And um, it's the last verse of Chapter 43, he gives them gifts. The last verse, verse number 34, he gives Benjamin five times the number of gifts that he gives to the other brothers. And then we have the last three words of the chapter. They drank. They became intoxicated together with him. So once again, there's a party in Joseph's house. He's giving gifts, but we notice two things here. First of all, he gives Binyamin five times the gifts that he gives the other brothers. That's number one. And second of all, uh, we have those last three words of the chapter, they drank. But by Yishkaru, they became intoxicated, one might say even drunk or high, together with him. Now, in this book of Breshit, we've had a, several, three other cases of somebody drinking. One, of course, is the case of Noah, who plants a vineyard and gets drunk within his tent, at which point something bad happens at the hands of his son, Cham. That's the first story. Then we have the story of Lot and his daughters, two daughters, each of whom, believing the world has come to an end, gets him drunk and sleeps with him. And, and Lot doesn't seem to know one way or the other what's going on, but certainly, whether we can see it as something necessary or not, from their perspective, but certainly from Lot's perspective, given, given the fact that he can't acknowledge it, there's a negative side to it, but it has to do with giving him to drink and making him incapacitated. Third time we encountered it, which is less obvious, it's more subtle, was back in chapter 27, where when Yaakov wants to trick his father and take Esau's blessing, he dresses up at Esau, he brings the food that his mother has prepared, but he also gives him wine to drink. And of course, the point over there is he wants to make sure that Yitzchak doesn't figure out that the one standing before him is not his son Esau, but rather Yaakov. So over here in chapter 44, once again, they drank and they became drunk with him. Here we have the becoming and the next thing Joseph's going to do in chapter 44 is command the person over his household to put the in the bag of the youngest son his uh, goblet, his silver goblet. So my point is that clearly what's going on in, in our chapter is that among other things, Joseph has some kind of a plan. And the plan is to 
place to incriminate his brother Benjamin. Now we can ask the question, why does he want to do that? We'll get to that, which is a very important question. But my ready in the very beginning, prepare for them. And we have two minds about that. One is, it's nice, he's, he's not only being hospitable, but he identifies with them. That's on one hand. On the other hand, the word tevach has a particular ring to it in the context of the larger Joseph story, given the central place of the Sarah Tabochim. And by the way, in terms of the Sarah Tabochim, we remember that when Yaakov is informed, or told that his brother, son Joseph, is missing, and here's his bloody coat, and Yaakov's response was, oh, he must have been killed. Torof, Toraf Yosef, he's been torn to pieces. He's a trefer. And then the Torah says, yes, at that very time, he's actually in Egypt. He's alive, but in the house of the Sarah Tabochim, in the house of the butcher. But what a butcher does is cuts up animals. Trefer means a torn up animal. So there's an irony in the Chumash, and Rashi takes that, and we can take that to mean, well, he has, he's not actually dead, but on the other hand, he finds himself in, in Egypt. He finds himself in the house of Potiphar, and all that comes with Potiphar, namely Mrs. Potiphar. So it's very interesting how the Chumash here is telling his story. That's as far as we got last week. So now let's continue our story. We're in chapter 43 in the 17th Pasuk. So the people are now to Joseph's house. In other words, normally when you go to Joseph for food, you must have it like an office or a palace. And everybody goes there and everybody is buys or purchases food. But over here, they're being brought to Joseph's personal house. Apparently, apart from the castle, that castle, whatever it is, he has his own private house. And the brothers are wondering, why is he bringing them into his own bayit? Uh, remember, their brother Shimon is still held captive someplace. So that we're told, anashim ki yosef. The brothers are fearful, frightened that they were brought to Joseph's house. By your room, they said to each other, why did they bring us to his house? Maybe it's because of Alzvar HaKesef, Hashav Biam Techoteno Anachnu Muvaim. Maybe it's because of the money we found in our sacks. They're warned, worried that he's going to think that they stole money, that they took food and didn't pay for it. To can mean to accuse us, to falsely accuse us, to fall upon us, to take us as slaves. What, what, what is the concern with taking us as slaves together with the Chaborim, with the donkeys? Strange thing to say, to fall upon us, or accuse us, fall upon us, enslave us, and take Chamoreno, but I presume that means and make it impossible for, ever, for us to ever get home. You have no means of transportation. So he's going to enslave us, imprison us here forever. We'll never get back. Back to our father, back to our families, etc. That's their fear because of the money found in their sacks. What are they going to do? So they approached not Joseph himself, 
It was not even there in the castle yet, at the house. But the person in charge of Joseph's bayit. And they speak to him at the entrance of the house. And they say, please, my Lord. And they tell the following story. We came down initially to purchase food. Lushbar means to purchase food. When we came to the rest stop on the way home, we opened up our sacks. And behold, each of us had money in his sack, and exactly according to the weight, that is to say, the, the amount of food that we took. Remember, our money seems to have been returned. Uh, and that money we brought back. We have that money with us. In, in our hands, that is to say, here it is, we're not hiding it. Here's the money that we found. Um, and we, we brought other money with us. Uh, with the other money, we want to purchase food. And we have no idea who put our uh, who put our money back in our sacks. Now, what's actually interesting here is that when they say to this person, it's not exactly true. No, it is true that they found money in their sacks, and it's true that they didn't take they didn't take the money. That's certainly true. But remember, in the initial story, small detail that it says on the way back when they stopped. The, the resting place on the way back, one of them opened his sack. Not all of them. For whatever reason, the rest of them don't open their sacks. They only open the sacks in the story when they come back to Yaakov. And they're amazed that each of them has the money. That's what Yaakov says, you caused me to be bereft. But it's not true that they found the money initially in their sacks on the way back. But to tell you the story, maybe to simplify it, or to make the point that lo and behold, we all found the money. It's not one of us, but all of us found the money. Each one in his sack. It's not that one of us is guilty and took all the money, but each of us found money in his sack. And we can't imagine how it got there, so we're returning it in any event. And other money was brought to purchase food. They think that's the reason they're being summoned into the house. There's a change of venue. They're very worried. And Sponsor this ish. No, no, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid. So, where'd the money come from? Your God and the God of your ancestors, God of your father, like a, like a, like a gift. Your money's come to me. You, you, the money is yours. The money is yours. Your God must have arranged, or the God of your father must have arranged for you to have the money. And he brings Shimon out, who had been captive. So once again, you got to wonder. When he says, the God of the God of your fathers gave you this gift, we, we remember that's all through the Yosef story. And this is one of the unusual features of the Yosef story, that on several occasions, Yosef speaks as if he's saying that God operates through me. He says twice about the dreams, the interpretation of dreams. I heard you're very good dream interpreters, says Paro. Well, no, God is the interpreter. Only God can interpret dreams. 
right? Or to the baker and the butler. God interprets dreams, tell me your dream. And then later on, Joseph will say twice, at least, that you didn't sell me down to Egypt, but God arranged for you to come down into Egypt. Initially, he says, for the purpose of keeping the family alive. So Joseph, on many occasions, uh, maybe that's one of the uh, pieces of Joseph's personality that does not endear him to too many people. But in any event, Joseph has spoken and speaks often about God operating through me. So when the person says, well, no, the money came in, you didn't take the money, God put the money in your sack, we can hear Joseph's voice over here. I mean, the man is talking apart from Joseph. Joseph didn't instruct him to say that, or maybe he did instruct him. But in fact, when he speaks, we are recalling something about the, the Yosef narrative in general. That on many occasions, Joseph is a person who sees God operating through him, and he said it explicitly twice and implied it maybe other times as well. So the point is that it's an interesting, once again, it fits in very well with what we know of Yosef to, to date. And it fits in very well with what we will encounter Yosef later. The money is yours, God gave you the money. Now, here we, I wanted to raise uh, this morning, afternoon, whatever, um, come back to a very basic question about Yosef, about the Joseph narrative. More than any other narrative of the Torah, I mean, as we've said many times, anybody who reads this, who has a feel for how these books work, sees immediately that the Joseph narrative feels different than any other Torah narrative. Uh, it's just different. It's longer, longer speeches. It spends a lot of time on Joseph's inner state. And one of the big questions in the Joseph story is why Joseph does what he does. It's clear uh, that Joseph uh, has a plan. It's not that he has no plan. He definitely has a plan. The only question is, what is the motive of Joseph? I want to add to that to, just to clarify. It's also clear, at least to me clear, that what happens in the story is that the brothers will come to take responsibility for the sale of Joseph. They've already said it earlier. We're guilty for our brother who cried out to us and we didn't listen. It's clear that Yehuda is going to say to Joseph, he's already said to his father, I take responsibility for the family. And it's clear that when Judah takes responsibility for the family and for his brother Benjamin, is what is going to affect Joseph. It breaks Joseph down and he cries out, I am Joseph. So one can certainly see what's happening in the Chumash as a test of the brothers. And it's a very good test because Binyamin is represented, and we'll see more of this, as Joseph's proxy. He's the remaining son of Rachel that Jacob overprotects. He's the remaining favorite son of, of Yaakov. That's for sure. So that, that the brothers are, in some sense, being tested, I think, and passing a test, and that's what allows the family to reunite, I think is pretty clear in the Chumash. But what's not clear in the Chumash is what Joseph's intent is. Is that Joseph's intent? Or, no, Joseph has a different intent, but what happens at the very same time is that in passing the test with flying colors, it breaks Joseph down and then he can't restrain himself 
and he says, I am Joseph. So that's a very basic question in the story, very fundamental question. Now, we're going to come across this question over and over again. So today is a good day to focus in on a, a good, good piece of this. Um, Shimon is brought out. Um, and now, once again, I'll read a couple of verses and I'll stop for comments and questions. So the man brings them into Joseph's house. Uh, and uh, he gives them water. We've seen this earlier in Breshid. Giving water to the strangers, to the foreigners who come is a sign of hospitality. It's what Abraham does. It's what Rebecca does. And now Joseph does this to, um, you know, it's a sign of greet, the way you greet the stranger, a great hospitality. Um, he feeds their animals, always wonderful, very friendly. And they, though, they've prepared a gift for Joseph. Remember, Yaakov sends down the mincha. And they are preparing the gift they brought, the fancy fruits and the herbs they brought from the land of Canaan. And they prepare it. They have been told, this is where you will eat. Lechem means a meal, not just bread. This is where you're going to eat your meal. They've been told, we have a special meal we're going to eat together. Once again, the lechem is a sign of hospitality. Lechem can also be a sign of connectedness. Kirin is a sign of connectedness. Yitro eats lechem together with Aaron and the elders. It's a sign of connectedness. Once again, the Chumash sends out perhaps two different messages. Now Joseph comes. They give him the gift, which they have prepared, to his house. They bow down once again. He inquires of their welfare. How is this old fellow? Your old father, is he still alive? Yes, they say, your, our servant, our father, your servant is still alive. And once again, they kneel and they bow down. Now, let me make one comment over here. I'll take comments and questions. Um, couple of things. First of all, two points. First, remember that when Joseph was first sent out back in chapter 37 by his father, and Yaakov says to Yosef, uh, Yosef, and Yosef says, Hineni. And then Yaakov said to Yosef, Go and uh, Go to your brothers and see, see, see the welfare of the brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring me back a word. So he sends Joseph, what might say, on a peace mission. Uh, and the word shalom appears prominently, especially given the fact that at the beginning of 37, we're told that the brothers, they couldn't speak shalom to Yosef. And here, what's interesting is once again, we suddenly encounter shalom. 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 Once again, the three times the word shalom, but sort of ironic in a way, he was sent out by the father to seek the welfare of the brothers. But now in Egypt, he's speaking to the brothers about the welfare of the father. 
So once again, the, the scene has shifted. And to underscore that the scene has shifted is a reverse kind of Shalat Shalom over here. What about the old fellow? Is he still alive? Odenu Chai. That's a word we'll come back to. But now we have the following. So, Vayisa Enav, Vayarit bin Yomin Achiv ben Imo, Vayomer, Hazeh Achichem HaKoton Asher Martem Elai. Is this the younger brother? Vayomar, Elohim Yachnecha Beni. He says to Binyamin, his brother, may God be gracious towards you. Yachnecha from the word Chein, my son. Now I'll get to Binyamin in a moment, but prior to that, I wanted to remind all of us of a dispute between, between Rashi and the Ramban. Very important dispute of Rashi and the Ramban. And what the Ramban says, when the brothers first came down to Egypt, they come to seek food, and Paro has told everybody, if you want food, go to Yosef. Do what Yosef tells you to do. So the brothers go to Yosef. They don't know it's Yosef. And when they see Yosef, who's the Mishnah Rabelach, who's the Viceroy of Egypt, so the brothers bow down to Yosef. And then the Torah says, and Joseph remembered the dreams. Comments Rashi, when he saw them bowing down, he realized that his dreams were actually true because he had dreamt about the brothers or the sheaves bowing down to him. And lo and behold, the brothers are now in Egypt and they're bowing down to him. So Rashi says he understood when he saw his brothers that those dreams that he had as a ch young child, 17 year old, were actually going to, were actually take, were actually true. For Rashi, it probably means he realized he was really right. They had mistreated him and he really was being informed by God about what's going to happen in the future. That's what Rashi says. But the Ramban has a different point of view. The Ramban says, I think it's exactly the opposite. That when the brothers come and bow down, says the Ramban, what he realizes is that the dreams had not yet come true. Because in the dreams of Joseph, both dreams actually, in the first dream, the sheaves were all in the field, sheaving sheaves or whatever and your sheaves bow down to my sheaf. In the second dream, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bow down to me. Now, when the brothers first came down to Egypt, says the Ramban, there were only 10 brothers because Benjamin was not allowed to go because Yaakov was overprotective of Benjamin. So the Ramban says, therefore, Joseph, who is committed to the dreams being coming true, he wants to make sure that the dreams can be true. For the dreams to become true, he needs to summon Benjamin because there are supposed to be 11 stars bowing down and not 10. All the sheaves are bowing down, not all sheaves minus one. So in the first dream, it's all the sheaves and the stream, it's 11 stars. So therefore, says the Ramban, what Joseph is doing, claims the Ramban, is manipulating things in such a way that the that the dreams will become true. Then the Ramban adds, but in the second, in the second dream, it was sun, moon, it was the sun, the moon, and eleven stars. So the sun and the moon, as Jacob said, what are me and your mother going to bow down? Well, the mother's not alive anymore. That's a separate problem. But let's say Jacob. So the Ramban says what Joseph is doing is trying to make the dreams come true. And what's missing is Jacob. Okay, now we have eleven sons bowing down, eleven brothers bowing down. We don't yet have Yaakov bowing down. So Joseph has to manipulate things in such a way 
to get Yaakov to come down to Egypt. The Ramban says, actually, the Ramban is claiming this is what lies behind Joseph's thinking, that all of these manipulations are to make sure, first, that Binyamin comes down, and secondly, to make sure that Yaakov will come down, which for the Ramban may be why at this point he asked the brothers, is the old man still alive? Because for the dream to become true, he thinks, someone, some, a parent has to come down. Okay, the 11 brothers came down um, and they bowed down to him. But what about the father? That's the Ramban. So the Ramban's idea then is that, uh, the Ramban's idea is that Joseph's motive, as it were, is to make sure that the dreams come true. Now, one could ask the question, why is that so important that the dreams come true? But I would say that for the Ramban, it probably is because he sees in the dreams a working out of God's plan, which we had mentioned earlier. And Joseph says that it's not me, God works through me. So for whatever reason, whatever God's plan may be, Joseph's his, his role, his mission, as to make sure that the dreams come true. One might say, in a funny kind of way, he's the great interpreter of his own dreams. Interpreter in the sense, he's going to make them happen. So Joseph is involved, and presumably, minimally, we could say, it's all for the good, since God has imparted this wisdom to Joseph. That's the Ramban. But of course, it raises the larger question, of course, which is why does Joseph do what he does? Let me stop here for a minute. We'll come back to that question. Um, but if anybody has comments or questions, please speak up. Rabbi, is it possible that either yes. is it possible that either possibly or subconsciously Joseph is giving hints to the brothers who he is? Because the, the brothers would know the Egyptians don't eat tevach, but here this guy Yosef is eating tevach. And Benjamin is getting five times as much as the others. Is it possible that he's trying to see if they could figure it out? It's certainly possible. Once again, it's very hard to, I mean, I'll speak for myself. It's very saying is very that there, one could suggest that in some sense, I mean, if what you're saying is right, let me, let me frame what you're saying. I'm not saying you're saying this. I mean, I think you've raised a very interesting point. Let me mention another story that maybe relates to what you're saying along the same lines. Um, and that is a story which is very similar to Yosef. In some senses, maybe even based upon Yosef, is the story of a Shimshon. I'm actually teaching a class now about the nausea, which is the material of the soul, especially I haven't gotten yet to the Mishnah and the Gemara, which is beyond belief interesting. But the story of Shimshon, if you think about it, has many parallels to Yosef. They're both called, I mean, Shimshon is a Nazir, and Yosef is called the Nazir. And um, what they have in common, among other things, is what Shimshon has, basically. Shimshon has secret knowledge. That's what Shimshon has. He has this enormous strength, and it comes from the fact that he is a Nazir. He's somehow connected to God in the deepest way, which is the source of his strength. He can't cut his hair. And as long as his hair is growing, he has the power. It's not in my view about the hair per se, but the hair represents that he's a Nazir. And then the story of Shemshur is actually very interesting. In fact, yesterday, someone asked me this question. Why Shemshur, when he first comes to the land of the Philistines, where he spends his entire life, 
he finds this woman he marries down they have a wedding party and at the wedding party he he uh poses a riddle to the people at the party from the sweet from right from the from the from the strains came the sweetness from the lion came came honey and it's an interesting the fellow asked me what do you make of the fact that there's a riddle and I, what I suggest is the fact, if you know the Shipshot story, uh, I teach it on Thursdays, I'm gonna deal with this point, I'll mention it now anyway. And that is that the story of Shipshot is a story of somebody who has secret knowledge. He can't tell anybody his deepest secret, which is the source of his strength, his connection to God. Nobody, there's nobody to talk to. He never speaks to the Jews at all in the whole story, except when they try to hand him over. And the Philistines are the enemy. So the point, I think, of a riddle, a riddle is a way of saying that I know something you don't know. And see if you can figure it out. And the same thing later in the Shemeshur story with, with Delilah. She keeps saying to him, what is the source of your strength? And he keeps on lying to her. But each lie is closer to the truth until finally he tells her the truth. And what strikes me is that there's a certain tension or certain sort of tragic story and what's most of Samson agonistes you know because you people want it people want to share their truths on the other hand there are many reasons that we don't tell others our secrets and with Shimshon you have this sense of he wants to, on one hand he wants to tell the truth on the other hand he withholds the truth and what you're suggesting is very much along those lines he has this fellow who is absolutely one big secret and he gets secret knowledge. I mean, the, the point of the dreams is with Shimshon, the riddles with Joseph's dreams. He has the secret knowledge. And on one hand, he wants to keep it secret. I mean, that is to say, not just knowledge, but his identity is questionable. Who is this Joseph? Is he a Jew? Is he, so the part of it is certainly he seeks, he seeks his brothers. On the other hand, there are many reasons that Joseph does not want to tell the brothers, I'm your brother. For one thing, it jeopardizes his position in the land of, of Egypt. Because once they you know, once they find out, the Egyptians find out that they're his brothers, there are all kinds of problems as for Joseph, as we'll see. Second of all, you're not sure that you, they even trust you. They did try to kill you at one point. They don't like you, etc. So maybe your point as well is a very interesting point that maybe what it's about is he drops the... Maybe it's... There can be other reasons, on a certain cycle, he's taught. Rabbi Silva, your internet seems to be not very good. Your voice keeps cutting out. We haven't heard what you said. Can you hear me now? Yes. I'll repeat it then. Can you hear me now? Yes. What I said is that in the story of Joseph, uh, Susan's point is very interesting. The story of Joseph, you can read it as somebody who is torn. He's both a Jew. When he sees his brothers, he cries. He's seeking his brothers. On the other hand, he names his son Menashe, which means forgetting, forgetfulness. I want to forget my father's house. He has a very comfortable job in Egypt. He's second in command in the country. He's in charge of the food. Chariot, he has his position, everybody bows down to him. I mean, 
He's made it to, to the top of the ladder. On the other hand, he he feels for his brothers. He wants to connect to the brothers. So Susan's point, which is she has a sense that in the story, there's a part of Joseph that actually wants to tell the truth. He drops these hints, but he's not telling them. And one way to read it, I think, whether she's correct about that particular point, but she hit on something very important. Unlike other stories, it's about somebody who truly is torn. He cries on many occasions. He's going to cry in this chapter in a few verses when he meets his brother Benjamin. So there's a piece of him that wants to tell, I'm Joseph. And there's the other that says, I don't want to say I'm Joseph. And for two reasons. One is, maybe they'll reject me. They must try to kill me. And more than that, if I tell them I'm a Jew, and I announced that's my identity. What does that do to my job in the land of Egypt? I mean, Pharaoh called me Tzavnat Paneach, right? He gave me an Egyptian name, an Egyptian wife, a priesthood. I dress like an Egyptian. I have a chariot. I, he named his son Benasha. So the point of Joseph being a torn person, I think, is a very important point. And I argue that, in that sense, it reminds me very much of, of Shimshon. The other one, the, the Nazir Shimshon. Joseph's also called the Nazir. That Shimshon tells riddles. What you're saying is, I know something you don't know. I'm giving you a chance to figure it out. But you probably won't figure it out. So it strikes me that the riddler is somebody who on one level wants to connect, but on a very different level can't connect that. That's the idea of the riddle. So Shimshon is a riddle. And Joseph has dreams. It's about something. Um, Rabbi Silver, your internet yeah, is cutting that out is again. Uh, we can't really hear what you're saying. Hey, yeah, I'm sorry. You can't hear me at all? We, we can hear you now, but just before you were cutting in and out. What I was saying is that both are, Shimshon and Joseph are both people who have secret knowledge. And the question they have, the, 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 the challenge they have is, can they keep the knowledge a secret? In the case of Shimshon, he's not allowed to tell the Philistines the truth, but he falls in love. He falls in love with a bad woman, Delilah. But, and she wants to know the truth. And each time he tells us something, it's not true, but he keeps getting closer to the truth. In the case of Joseph, once again, there's a secret. The main secret is, who is this guy? He's actually their brother Joseph. So on one hand, he doesn't want to tell them that for any number of reasons. But what Susan is saying is that in a funny kind of way, he does things to suggest that there's much more here. When he gives Benjamin five portions, and he gives Benjamin a blessing, he got he's singling out why and why for the old man he's so worried about he talks about him how is the old fellow is he is he okay so that you wonder about it so maybe on some level she says maybe on some level it suggests he wants to tell them but for whatever reason he still can't tell them that would yes does anybody else have something to say i think Tova to had a question and then aviva you, you let's see i told them. 
Can Tov hear me? Um, yeah, I'm just asking her to unmute. Yeah, about the dreams. When Yosef first dreamt about the sheaves, I don't. I didn't think that it was Yosef who was the interpreter then. I thought then it was the brothers. I didn't think that Yosef interpreted dreams until he got to Egypt. Maybe now he's just now interpreting uh, what he had dreamt as a child. Right, I agree. No, no, you, you, you told initial story, it's the brothers that say it. My point about Joseph interpreting the dreams, only Joseph can make them come true. My point is that he's now in Egypt, he's interpreting in the sense that he's put himself in the position to make, to make it true. And he also is in the position to make the second dream come true. He's trying to figure out a way to force Yaakov to come down to Egypt. Yaakov can only bow down to him if they meet. And since Joseph has no intention of leaving Egypt, he makes, he's going to make Yaakov come down to make the dream come true. But that's what I meant by interpreting. He's going to make happen, actually. But he, does he know the that his father is dead? The brothers interpret the dream. Does does Yosef know that his, mother his mother's dead? dead? Yeah, she died before. Uh, before he left, I think he does. She, she dies in yeah, she yes, I think so because she dies in chapter 30, 35, and the story of Joseph starts in chapter thirty seven. So he knows I, that. I, and when when the, 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 so when do they dream that you know both the mother and the father would bow, bow down? Right. So that's the problem that we discussed that that. That dream is later. I I made a suggestion about the, the the dream said the sun and the moon. The dream didn't say mother and father. Yaakov says, "Are me and your mother going to bow down to you?" And right. I suggested earlier that actually in the story, of course, the mother has died, but I suggested that the moon bowing down to Joseph, because the the word for moon in the in the Bible is the word sohar. That when Joseph finds in place is, 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 is when Joseph is in the Beit HaSoar is when everything turns around. When the, the head of the Beit HaSoar gives him whatever he wants and that's where he meets the baker and the butler and that's what propels him to power. So I made a suggestion that even though the mother can't of course come down but the dream said the moon and the sun. So the sun is going to be Jacob who has to bow down. So Joseph's going to meet manipulated in a way to bring him. And then the moon, of course, the mother has died, but the Hebrew word for moon can be Sohar. And that's where Joseph finds himself in chapter 30, uh, chapter 40 in the Beit HaSohar. Uh, there was another question as well. Um, yes, there was a question from Aviva, if she wants to unmute herself. Yes. Um, but then there was also okay. a question in the chat from Charlotte who asks, does the rabbi mind sharing a source where Yosef is referred to as a Nazir. Yes, it's chapter 49. Chapter 49, which verse is it? Um, there's twice in the Torah. It's in Jacob's blessings to Joseph, which is chapter 49, um, uh, verse number 26. Chapter 49, verse 26. And it's also found at the end of the Torah, 
in the blessings that Moshe gives to the children, to the tribes, to the, the Zota Bracha, the very end of the Chumash, that's in the last chapter, I think, of the Torah. I can find that for you in a moment. Give me one second, I'll find this. Chapter 30, um, that's in um, chapter 33 of, of Devarim, uh, verse number 11. Thank verse you. number, sorry, verse number 16. Chapter 33 of Devarim, verse number 16. Those two places he's called the Nazir. Okay, what else? One more question and we'll continue. Yes, a quick question. Um, you mentioned yeah. today and last week that by asking the tabach litboch at basar, that it was different food than the Egyptians. But if Potiphar was Sarah Tabachim and one of Pharaoh's dreams were about the cows, it implies that the Egyptians did eat um, meat that was tab So could you explain the difference? Well, first of all, it doesn't imply that they eat meat, it implies they use cattle. Cattle is used for many things, typically for work. Some cattle is used for eating and some cattle is used for... <clears throat> Paro has flocks. Paro says to Joseph when the brothers come down, maybe that you can put them in charge of my flocks, which Joseph has maneuvered into Pharaoh's... Cattle is also used as currency in those days. You bartered with cattle. I mean, so it's not necess necessarily true I don't know for sure they didn't eat uh, cattle. Maybe they ate it a different way, but they don't eat with the Jews. That's clear. It's an abomination unto Egypt. That's very clear. So, so it's an abomination to eat with the Jews, even if they eat the same food. Is that what you mean? To... But it... What I'm saying is I'm not sure they eat the same way. They certainly can eat with the Jews. We'll see that. It's explicit in this chapter. They don't eat the same food as the Jews eat. <laughs> They eat separately. There is some sense in the story that they're not eating the cattle. Whether they're eating or they don't eat cattle, this I can't answer. I'm, I'll check it. But they certainly don't eat. With, later on in the chapter, they eat separately, as we'll see in a few minutes. They don't eat with Joseph. Mm -hmm. So Joseph's going to eat with them. We'll, we'll see. It's actually quite interesting. We'll get there in, in a couple of minutes. Thank um, you. Okay, let me continue that with our, yes, you're welcome. Let me continue with our chapter. So we're back at chapter again. Back in chapter 43. So we're up to the um right. So um fine. Now we're up, this is verse number verse number um 29. It says Vayisa right? Joseph looks up Vayarid Benimo. Sees Benjamin, his brother, his mother is. Brother from the mother's side, his full brother, not his half brother. <clears throat> Is this the young brother that you spoke of? Uh, he said, God should, should show you chain, should show you kind graciousness. Now, of course, on one hand, so he singles Benjamin out. His whole manipulation was to bring Benjamin down. And we'll discuss why in a, in a minute. I mean, I don't, don't think we can know why exactly. Interesting, God should be gracious to you, Yachnechabini, is an interesting phrase, unusual phrase. 
but it reminds us of Joseph in the house of Potiphar, where the Chumash emphasizes that Joseph, by Yimtzah Yosef Chein, and also when he, even in jail, by Yimtzah Yosef Chein, Yosef is a fellow who, for whatever reason, is seen uh, favorably in the different situations that he finds himself. They see him as, they see him in a positive light, either because he's useful, he's intelligent, or whatever it is. So when he says to Binyamin, Binyamin, God should give you chain, be gracious to you, reinforces something that's very story. Oh, but I'll say anyway again, and that is Binyamin, a kind of proxy for Joseph. In other words, in the story, the way you treat Binyamin, who's the son of Rachel, who's the favorite son of Jacob, who's protected by Jacob, he can't go on the, on the, on the path lest he get hurt or whatever it is, um, he stands in for Joseph. So the way the brothers are going to treat Binyamin, presumably, is the way they would, would now treat Joseph. So in that sense, Binyamin is a test. I'm not saying that's Joseph's intention, but the point is, in point of fact, the way the brothers behave towards Binyamin would suggest that were Joseph alive, that's the way they would behave towards Joseph. Now here we can ask ourselves once again the question, obviously Joseph is very taken. And before that, just the next verse, Joseph hurried out. He was overcome with feeling towards his brother. He was by evacuation. He wanted to cry. Strange expression. He seeks seeks to cry. He went to a room, a side room, and he cried there. This is the second time Joseph is crying, but there's a difference between this crying and the other crying. Because in the other crying, when he cries, when he hears the brothers saying to each other, we stood, we're being punished for the way we treated our brother who cried out for help and we didn't listen. That's why we're suffering. And when that, Joseph hears this, he turns away from them and cries. He can turn away, hide it, he cries, and he turns back. But over here, it's much more than that. First of all, we have the strange expression, vacation of cult, he seeks to cry. And he can't just turn to the side because he really wants to cry. So he goes into a, a separate room by a bohachadra by Yekshama. By Aaron Lichtenstein, uh, I didn't even realize this till about a few months ago, wrote a long essay about the Joseph story. It's pretty good, too, by the way. I mean, again, it could take issue with many things, but he makes a nice observation about. Uh, Joseph wanting to cry. And he puts it in terms of, maybe this is more me than him, but the point is, it's interesting that over here, he goes he goes to the cheder, he goes to an inner, a, a, a different room, an inner room. And I, I have the same thought, he mentions the, the a Gemara, had exactly the same thought, which is, the Gemara talks about God uh, God crying. And the Gemara says, what do you mean God crying? They quote a different verse that there are no tears in God. God doesn't cry. And the Gemara gives the following answer. It's not a problem. The contradiction can be resolved. The 
There's the inner room and the outer room. In the outer room, God doesn't cry. Maybe it means nature. Nature seems the same. Nature is indifferent to suffering in the world. But then there's the inner room, the Bote Gavoy, the inner room where God cries. And here you have that sense. And here the point I would make is that he is actually torn. In other words, the story of Joseph is somebody who's actually, you can see the two sides of Joseph in the text. There's the brother who cries, and especially it's the second time already he's crying, and he really and he wants to cry. By evocation of cult, we're reminded of the verse when he first tries to find his brothers. And a man says, What are you what are you looking for? Uh, what do you what What do you seek? And Joseph said, I seek my brothers. Here we have the same word, he wishes to cry. On the other hand, we have the other Joseph, the Egyptian, the viceroy, the one who named his first son anyway, forgetfulness. I want to forget my past, my father's house, my suffering, etc. And the reason I emphasize this so much is for the following. The story of Joseph is about somebody who is conflicted. He's a person who cries about his brothers, and he's a person who said who who actually puts them through terrible trials, who says, I want to forget the past, who obviously has a lot of anger, etc. And um, that's why. When he does certain things, we can read it different ways. Is he doing all this to test the brothers, to test Jacob, hoping they'll pass the test, and then he can reconcile, figuring, I can't reconcile with my brothers if they're still the old brothers who hate me. Let me see if they hate me. Let me see how they behave. Let's set up, let's set up a situation as a test, and we'll see what they do. That's one way to read the story. Many have read it that way. Um, there's another way to read the story of Benjamin, that what Yosef is interested in over here is, uh, is saving his brother. He sees 10 brothers, one brother's not here. Where's the missing brother? Oh, our father, he kept, our father kept him home. He didn't want to let him go. And Joseph begins to wonder, is that true? Did he, is, he, is, he, is he once again overprotecting the, uh, the son of Rachel? That first did you want he's dead like they wanted to kill me so in other words maybe what joseph's on over here is a rescue mission he's gonna get benjamin down here he's gonna force jacob to send benjamin down by holding shimon hostage and when benjamin comes down here he's gonna make up some story he'll send them all back home safely and Binyamin, his beloved brother, whom he loves, will be protected by Joseph in the land of Egypt. That is a totally plausible interpretation in my view. And the point of fact, I would say it's one of those cases where you never can know. It's a perfect example of when there's intentional ambiguity and we'll never figure it out. But, and here's the but, but the Chumash has told us basically that Joseph is of both one who cries about his brothers and one who says, I want to forget. So therefore, since we know that about Joseph, we know he's got a plan, we're just not sure what the plan is. But the idea that the Joseph narrative in general, from beginning to end, is a narrative 
that could be read in radically two different ways. I don't, that's, that would be an overstatement. But there's a book that you can read in completely two different ways from the first verse to the last verse. And you can read it both ways, in my view, equally well. And we can't ever determine. And that, of course, is Megillah and Esther, which to a large extent is based on the Joseph story. But Megillah and Esther is different because Megillah and Esther, the question is that everything that takes place in that book is it planned? Is there a reason? Can it be explained? Or maybe not. Maybe what you have is the book in which things happen randomly. And that starts with the king, with Achashverosh. Who is this guy? Is he some kind of blundering idiot? And no explanation can ever be given for what he does because he's thoughtless and mindless and just narcissistic. Or maybe not. Maybe he's not that. Maybe he's actually a very clever and intelligent fellow. And whatever happens in the book, which seems to be uh, sometimes absurd, can easily be explained. And more broadly, everything in the book can be explained. Everything that happens in the book can be random. That night, the king could not sleep. Why not? Who knows? Stomach ache, strep throat. Or is it something else? Something's bothering him. Bothers him. How come Esther invited Haman twice to meals? What do we know about this guy? So that's another way to read the book. So the Megillah is different than the Joseph story. The Megillah is unique, actually. Even though it's based on the Joseph story, it's very different. But the Joseph story here, you really see the conflict. Joseph is a conflicted person. And the Bible almost never does that. There's something unique about the Joseph story. It really reads like a novel. Here's a guy who cries to the degree that he has to walk out of the room. But he walks out of the room. He doesn't want his, he doesn't want them to see him cry. So he still keeps from them a piece of his identity. Fine. Anyway, that's what I want to say. Now let me just stop you for a moment and take comments or questions, and then we will try to finish the chapter. Another two minutes or so. Are there any questions? I would like to add something, although I know you don't yes. like. I know you don't like this kind of ed edition, so to speak, but uh, on the one hand, Yosef's story influenced many other stories, starting from Megillat Esther and Daniel, and also yes. many of the medieval Jewish foundation stories are based on the Yosef pattern. But uh -huh. apparently, the Yosef story itself is based on is parallel to an ancient foundation Egyptian story in which the parallel to Yosef is called Sinuhi, and he's the one who helps the king or solves the problem or something parallel to uh, deciphering uh, dreams, and then he becomes uh -huh. viceroy, and then the whole story is about this. So I'm just saying that the pattern of Yosef, it's not by chance a novella, because this is part of, I mean, the ancient Egyptian narrative has this kind of pattern. That's all. Okay, I'm not, actually, that doesn't bother me in the least. I have no problem. No, I'm just... And look, I'm just saying that I have, I have no problem in general. Fact of the matter is, the story... Let me put it to you this way. Um, 
Let me just say one thing over that, which I wanted to mention, which is related to what you're saying. And I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm teaching this Nazir class. And here's what I wonder, you know, when you read these, these stories, so there's a, there's a narrator, someone's telling us the story and the narrator has a point of view. They call him the implied, the implied author. But the question you can ask in general is a different question, another question, which is who is the implied reader? Because the fact of the matter is, let's say for example, the Nazir. What does the Torah say about the Nazir? Joseph is called the Nazir. The Torah says in Bamidbar that the Nazir, when someone takes a Nedr to be a Nazir, they can't drink wine, they can't cut their hair, they can't come in contact with the dead. Here's my question. So something, that's what a Nazir is. As if, in other words, my question is, the person who reads this thing a couple of thousand years ago, does the person already know what a Nazir is? No, it's not a new concept for the person. They know such a thing as a Nazir exists. What the Torah is saying is, listen, you, 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 you know what a Nazir is, but I want to tell you something, that the Nazir, in addition to what the Nazir may be, has certain restrictions which, which partially define what the Nazir is. And I'll give you another example of this. When the Torah speaks about a king in the book of Devarim, Torah says, you want to have a king? You can have a king. Shouldn't have too many wives, not too many horses, not too much money, shouldn't bring them down to Egypt. He writes a Sefer Torah, he should read it. He shouldn't be too haughty. But what the Torah never says is, okay, you got a king. What does the king do? What's his job? The Torah doesn't say it. Now, the point is, one way to understand that is, people know what a king does. The reader knows what a king is. What the Torah says, you know, you know about kingship. Let me tell you about the kingship that I, that, that, that I want. And these things are not defined in kingship, but they're limiting kingship, but they're saying something about the kingship. But the reader already knows about kings. It is, it, the same thing is true. The reader knows about a Nazir, a certain conception of a Nazir. And then the Torah is saying, uh, okay, you know what a Nazir is, but you have to keep these other things in mind, which help define what the Nazir is, or et cetera. So my point is, it doesn't bother me. I would be amazed, actually, if it weren't true, that this book, which is one of the books of the ancient Near East, and we know that because we have a whole bunch of other stories. We have 10 stories about the flood. So it would be rather surprising if the reader didn't know something about floods. But the point is, and Kasuto's point actually is, of course the Torah knows, people know about floods, but they don't know about this version of the flood and the God, the God of the flood, etc., which is different. That's his point. So the fact that there may be other genre in ancient literature doesn't bother me in the least. And the fact of the matter is, the biblical writer has chosen that story to the story. And it is different. And of course, you're right. The, this, the, the story of the king of Persia, the court of Persia, is, draws heavily from the Joseph story, as does Daniel. Uh, and it's also a great story. It's an amazing story. And it feels totally different. When you read Joseph's story, it's not like any other story. Now, having said that, I wanted to say one last point. It's like every, not like any story, but the Chumash has, has put it at the end of Breshit and it has a million connections to Breshit. In other words, it's not just importing a story like that. It may be importing the ideas, but it's completely, it, it has fit into the language of Genesis. It, we'll get to this later. It, it, it plays off all the stories of Breshid, basically. It, it's, a, it's a concluding story. So, but the idea that there are other parallel stories which precede it, uh, of course, why would we 
otherwise, I don't assume that. Cool. Um, okay, let me just get back to Jonathan has a statement in the chat. What is I didn't, didn't see it. What is Jonathan saying in the chat? Did you see that statement there? Yep, yeah, one second. I'll just read it out. Um, Jonathan says people would understand each other by listening to similar stories with differences. That's how people made a point in the old days by retelling a story with differences. Okay, I agree. And the fact is, but the question would be always, what is the difference? I mean, what in other words, in other words, I think the point is that there are certain things that are, there are many creation stories. There are many flood stories. The question is, what is our story? And it's not just repeating their stories, but the, the differences are, 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 are very significant. But of course, I mean, it's, these things are not written in a vacuum, obviously. I'm assuming I call it the implied reader. The reader knows something. The reader probably knows a lot more than we do. I mean, we've, we've discovered in the last 100, 150 years, a lot of these ancient texts. Found them in the, we found them all over the place. People, people discovered them, not, not specifically Jews, but we discovered things and different codes, etc. And it is rather striking, but um, you know, and I don't think it should bother us at all. I mean, it's just a, gives us a deeper understanding. That's all. So I have no problem with it. But the fact of the matter is that these things do exist. I mean, for sure, we, we know that. And we'll, again, we'll probably uncover more things as well. Okay, let me just complete, let me just finish this up now with, we have another uh, 10 minutes. I want to just uh, come back to the chapter. So anyway, Joseph goes back into his header. He's able to, he's able to control himself. It's not easy because he's very taken when he meets Binyamin. Right. And now we have verse number 32, which is a very important verse. I mentioned this before. They're serving the food. They served him alone. Joseph is alone. And they served them, the brothers alone. And with the Egyptians who eat, ito is singular. With him, that means Joseph. The Egypt, Joseph has his house. There are plenty of Egyptians in the house. The ones who eat with Joseph, they eat separately. Why? Because the, the Egyptians can't eat with the Hebrews. That would be an abomination, abhorrent to the Egyptians. And this is a very interesting verse because you got this picture in front of you. You have the brothers, you have Joseph, you have the Egyptians. The Egyptians work for Joseph. He's in charge, but they don't eat with him. They can't eat his food. Notice it says they can't eat with him. It doesn't say they can't eat with them because that's obvious they're not going to eat with them. Why, they, why would they eat with a bunch of Hebrews from the land of Canaan? But the point is, Joseph doesn't eat with either one of them. Now, what Joseph doesn't eat with the Egyptians because they won't eat with him. But he also doesn't eat with the brothers. They set his table separately. Even though he's a Hebrew, from their perspective, they understand from the brother's standpoint, he's an Egyptian. He's, he's the viceroy of Egypt. The viceroy is not going to eat with these, with these guys coming in from the land of Canaan. But you have this picture. If you just visualize this picture over here of Joseph. He's sitting in a room with his, his staff and his brothers. Nobody eats with him. He's eating totally by himself for two opposite reasons. The Egyptians don't eat with him because he's a Hebrew. And the Hebrews don't eat with him because he's the viceroy of Egypt. And that's what I mean by the Nazir, the, the one who's separate. This fellow is so unbelievably separate. And it really says something very striking about Joseph that we've encountered before. 
when he's in the lab with his brothers, he throw him into the pit. And he's with the Egyptians, and Mrs. Potiphar, he's, he gets thrown into jail, which is called Habar. They threw me into the pit. He's thrown into the pit in each case. The brothers throw him into the pit, and Potiphar and throws him into the pit. So this is what I mean by a nausea. He is utterly and completely separate. He has, again, and that's part of the, 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 the tension and the difficulty. Shimshon is, is similar. Shimshon lives with the Philistines. He's, he doesn't live with the Jews. In no sense is he a Jew. On the other hand, he fights the enemy of the Jews. The, the, the angel said he will defeat the enemies of Israel. He'll, he'll, he'll save Israel. But he doesn't directly save Israel. He saves Israel indirectly. He has nothing to do with Israel, actually. He only, only in one story, which they try to hand him over. So the Shimshon Yosef story is very striking. And what Susan had said earlier, living in this kind of a condition where you can't ever tell anybody who you are, it must be extremely difficult. And that's the story of Joseph, and that's the story of, of Shimshon. Okay, now let's take one, let's just finish this, this chapter. Now he seats them down. And he seats them in, 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 in the correct order of their age. And the men are, are astonished. How, in other words, what Joseph is saying over here, once again, get back to Susan. On one hand, he's dropping a hint. How would he know? Remember, the brothers were born one after the other. There's a difference of, he's only in, in, with Lavan for, he marries Rachel and, and Leah after seven years. So he's there 13 years. Has 10, has 12 children, Dina and 11 sons. They can't be that far apart age. So how know which one is older, second, third, or fourth, or eighth, or whatever, but he knows. Again, what's that about? Is it about, well, he's in a way telling them who he is, he's hinting at who he is? That's certainly possible. But there's something else over here, which is much more sinister, which is the reason he's, he's, he has not secret knowledge where is the secret knowledge coming from? And now we're about to see in the next chapter that he has a special cup. Later on, he puts the cup in Benjamin's sack. And when they send a man to chase after them, says somebody took the cup, which he uses to divine. It's a divining cup. In other words, that the source of his knowledge is his ability, in the words of the Chumash, to be menachesh, to be a diviner. So over here, he's already setting it up. And then we have, of course, at the end of the verse, um, next verse, and he gives him gifts, but he gives Benjamin five times the amount. Once again, setting up a, potentially setting up jealousy. So if Benjamin is found to have the Gavia, the other brothers will say, listen, he got what he deserved. Who cares about this guy? He's a little pampered, favorite little, little brat. Let him suffer. And they'll go happily home without him. Maybe that's what he's thinking. Or maybe it's a test. Let's see how to treat Benjamin. Will they be able to do the right this time? Instead of he is their brother, how are they going to behave? That's a possibility. So two possibilities. And then once again, the, the drinking with him. Is it friendliness? Oh, the boys get together and have a few drinks. Is that what it is? Or is he setting up a trap? Is that what the Chumash is saying? gets them drunk. When you're drunk, you can be taken advantage of. You can't think clearly. So this is possible. You read the story over here, coming back to the main point, and what, you wonder about it. 
what is Joseph's motive? And I would argue that it's very hard to know, actually. I mean, if, if I had to choose one of them, I would say he wants to rescue Benjamin. He wants to rescue Benjamin and send him home in peace and protect his Benj Benjamin, whom he sees as in great danger because of Jacob's not concern, but misplaced, uh, not once again acting foolishly and endangering his, the remaining son of Rachel. If I had a pick, but one could certainly read it the other way as well. And I think it's, it is a story, I think, but here Sturman is on a, a good place in terms of seeing a story that can be read in two very different ways. So I think we'll stop that at this point. Um, if there are any last comments, I'll take them now. And then we'll continue next week with chapter 44, which is, uh, we're coming to the, uh, the, the, the great speech of Judah in chapter 44. I want to spend some time on that. And then Joseph's speech in response, which is very interesting. And we will continue. The plan is to try to finish Breshid uh, with these sessions. Uh, if we can't do it, we'll continue. But uh, okay, is there any last comment here? Otherwise, I'll stop for this week and we'll continue next, uh, uh, next uh, Sunday. Thank you, Robert Silver. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good class. Thank you very much, Rabbi. Thank you. Okay, then. All right. So Thank continue you. then next week. Good to see all of you. Toda Rabba. Okay. Thank you. Toda Rabba. Thank you so bye much. Bye. Okay. Bye. Toda, toda.